This is episode 12. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. All right. Thanks for joining us today. We love the fact that you're tuning in. Thank you again. And please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Well, it was January 17th, 1994. I was a senior at Cal State Sacramento. It was my birthday. And California endured one of the most devastating disasters the state had seen. The Northridge earthquake hit before sunup, and it took hours to determine the extent of damage. Santa Monica Fire Chief Jim Hone was shaken out of bed, as were many and knew it was a big one right away. So what were the biggest challenges for fire officials and how did they decide to initially survey the damage for that operational picture or put water on those fires that they saw? They were controversial decisions at the time and there were revolutionary concepts and actions put into place at the beginning of the recovery phase and they're still in use today. We'll talk about all that and a lot more from the home of retired fire chief Jim Hone right now. Sitting on the back porch. This is beautiful out here. This is beautiful. Back porch for uh, retired fire chief Jim Hone. Uh, 30 years with Santa Monica Fire Department. That was a long time to be with the fire department. How to, yeah, it must have gone well for you, for you to stick around that long, huh? Uh, Santa Monica was a, a great uh, city to work for, and uh, uh, the, the fire department was uh, exceptional, and it was a pleasure to be a, a part of it for that long. Right. Now, while you were there, obviously, we're here to talk to you about uh, the big event, uh, one of many, I'm sure, that you endured as a fire chief or even in your fire career. Uh, but the big one was the Northridge earthquake. Uh, January 17th, 1994, uh, and you remember the time that it hit? Uh, 4.31 in the morning, yes. Where were you at 4.30 in the morning on January 17th? Uh, 4.30 in the morning, uh, I was in Thousand Oaks uh, in my house uh, with my wife. Okay. And uh, after uh, the earthquake uh, occurred, uh, and I, I got off of her because <laughs> I was protecting her. Because mm -hmm. it shook pretty good, but not any damage out there. Um, I went uh, immediately around the house to check, make sure everything was good. It was uh, because of my career and, and my wife knowing uh, what I needed to do next. Uh, we kissed, parted ways, and uh, I went to work for the next seven days. Wow. You said it didn't do much damage, and it, you felt the, the shaking in your area. Did you have any idea at that point, um, or did you have any inkling at all as to how severe it would be? Um, no, not really. Uh, and uh, being where we were located, uh, it's really hard to tell uh, what the impacts are going to be. So um, we had a general rule in the department that if it shakes, uh, you know, severe enough at your location, uh, try to monitor the media. Um, if, if you're not getting any information that way uh, and you feel that it might cause damage to the city of Santa Monica, uh, you should uh, then come into work. and. I felt that it was uh, significant enough to do that and, and, and did so. So you, you, you headed into work. Um, how long was it before you realized that this was a, a really big deal? Well, it uh, really didn't take long to know that Santa Monica had been impacted uh, quite severely. I got to work 
Uh, on my way into work, uh, I stopped by my, uh, my baby brother's house, uh, who was also a firefighter with Santa Monica. I know his wife and uh, two kids were home alone because it was his duty day. Uh, checked on them, uh, got them situated uh, as far as a, a little, little safer environment than where they were because a bunch of things had broken inside their house, but the house was sound and there was no uh, structural damage. Um, and then when I got to work, the uh, uh, battalion chief who was on duty at the time, uh, at that time I was the support services division chief, which was responsible uh, for city facilities, uh, for the fire department uh, vehicles, and citywide emergency preparedness. So the emergency services coordinator uh, was one of the people who worked in my division, and I knew that that was going to be a major portion of us in getting the emergency operations center up and running, and, uh, but I wanted to check with uh, the fire department uh, battalion chief uh, first to see what was going on. Uh, he had indicated they had several structure fires that were uh, currently active and that uh, they were trying to do their windshield surveys, which is one of the challenges for, uh, for uh, um, emergency service personnel is to get that information and trying to provide what I, I, you know, what's co commonly called now a, a common uh, operational picture. Yeah. That's a real challenge, uh, trying to get the information when you have an event that is citywide affected. Right, so the windshield surveys, you drive around, you kind of get an idea, general picture, uh, at least from the outside. You don't necessarily know what's happening inside those buildings, but at least from the outside it gives you a, a general sense of how things look. It does, uh, yeah. If the building is uh, severely damaged uh, or on fire, that's something you can readily uh, identify and uh, report. Uh, whether you take any uh, mitigating actions or not, that's you know uh, up to the captain. And, and I would have to say that the, the decisions that the captains made and the battalion chief made that were in the field at the time uh, were the right decisions. Uh, however, it did delay the windshield survey process. Uh, we had uh, 13 structure fires, uh, I can't say all at the same time, but they were uh, pretty close together. Seven of those were uh, apartment complexes. And if they would have driven by them, uh, whole blocks could have been lost. And so the decisions that were made by the captains and the battalion chief were to uh, use uh, deck-mounted uh, monitors and large diameter hose, hit the fires as quickly as possible, darken them down, and then move on uh, trying to complete your windshield survey. So trying to prevent conflagration type of uh, actions really was the, the primary focus and windshield surveys took a secondary role. And I know some communities are struggling with that. Who does it the best? What's the best way to do it? And uh, we had some long discussions after the earthquake and uh, made some changes after that effect. So you said if those, I need you to restate them because I want to make sure I heard that right. You said that if those windshield surveys had been done sooner, right. what would have happened? Well, we could have made maybe some uh, more strategic uh, decisions on the limited resources that were available at the time. Uh, even though, you know, we, we knew that we uh, had multiple incidents going on in addition to hazardous material uh, incidents and, and gas leaks, uh, the structure fires were probably the, the most serious challenge to this community safety uh, because if they turn into a conflagration type of an event, um, Water supplies can be diminished. We were very fortunate that most of our water supply system uh, was, was intact, but it, it, it really challenges the community's viability uh, after the event if you have large swaths that are, are burnt down and no longer usable. Um, so 
the, the need to make sure that the limited resources you have are being used appropriately can only be made if you have good intel. And without that good intel, you know, it's like a multi-casualty incident where you have lots of patients, you might be treating the ones screaming the most, but maybe they're not the most severe, and you might have uh, worse situations around the corner. But if you don't get to around the corner, you don't know what it is, and that's the challenge, is how do you do wide, citywide um, uh, evaluations in a timely manner, uh, and what's the best resource to do that? And historically, uh, it kind of defaults to the fire service. Uh, they're used to doing that kind of a thing. Um, it has kind of defaulted to that, but I'm not sure that that's the right resource. And yeah. we made some changes in Santa Monica. So there were some challenges early on for you because your 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 firehouse was it? Your firehouse took some damage too. Uh, actually, uh, that was one of our challenges. Is that um, after the uh, fire station one uh, crews left? Uh, to do their windshield surveys and start mitigating uh, some fires, uh, we actually got a call that the apartment complex uh, next to the fire station was on fire. Uh, and I had no fire engines to go there. Mm. And uh, we were able to finally uh, get a, a unit released uh, and showed up. Uh, while that was happening, um, it just so happens that the dispatch center uh, was located at Fire Station One. Um, the one of the firefighters, who actually was my, was my uh, little brother Jack, uh, he was a part-time dispatcher. He knew that the dispatcher would be overwhelmed because we only had one on duty at the time, and stayed to help dispatch and and receive all the calls that were coming in. He actually, after hearing that the the apartment complex next to the fire station was on fire went upstairs into the second story bathroom, closed the window of the bathroom as fire was burning the paper towels inside the, the bathroom. Uh, it broke the window eventually, but at least it prevented the fire from entering the fire station, gave us enough time that the fire engine was able to show up and get a water line between the structures and we were able to save the fire station. Uh, so that, that's just one example of making sure that you have the right resource in the right spot or fire station one would be burned up just like the, the apartment complex if we were so focused on windshield survey is the primary and only thing you do. I, I don't know that that's the right course of action. So, okay, so you were able to at least save that. We did. Okay, which is fantastic. Uh, but you had another challenge, your, uh, your incident command center. Um, there were some issues there as well. Tell us how what some of the challenges were with at least establishing the IC. Yeah, the the uh, the way we were training our our city. And remember, this is back in '94. Uh, Sims had just come on board, and so uh, we were just starting to train our city employees about the incident command system and 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 the requirements for training and the emergency operations center and its function and all that. Um, so when we were uh, standing up the emergency operations center which uh, it was designated in the basement of City Hall um, we uh, were unable to use it initially uh, because when we tried to stand it up uh, there was no power to the building even though the emergency generator was running uh, we could not identify why we were not getting power into the building um, 
come to find out after we did a, a complete inspection with the building inspector and, and traced down the problem, six hours later, uh, we found that a circuit uh, board panel had come dislodged in the uh, uninterrupted power supply or the up system and basically was saying we're not going to allow the generator power come in because we're reading it as dirty because of the circuit breaker panel being dislodged. Mm. Once they put the panel back in, power was restored and then we were able to use the emergency operations center and get a better uh, opportunity to uh, track the resources, track the incidents and do a better job of deciding who needs to go where. Uh, during that interim period, we used a uh, converted uh, police department uh, uh, motorhome uh, that we used in the parking lot, and we, that became our temporary emergency operations center until we got the, the uh, actual EOC established. So at least in the initial six hours, it seemed as though maybe your hands were tied a little bit. Not completely, but it, you were certainly hindered. It, it was a challenge uh, in that um, what we had trained to and what we were prepared to use, that resource wasn't available. Uh, the motorhome at the time uh, only had police department radio frequencies in it. Uh, so everything that I was doing was on my portable radio. Um, so that became, you know, not problematic, but I was able to, to keep abreast of what was going on by the uh, on-duty battalion chief and what was happening. And as more resources came in, uh, we were able to track it, but we didn't have uh, the pre-made forms. We didn't have all the display boards. We didn't have all those things we were very used to that we had trained to use, we didn't have access to those using those effectively because they were all you know, buried in the, uh, the, the permitted EOC, which had no lighting and we couldn't get to it. Um, we did request mutual aid right away uh, and it took six hours for uh, fire resources to arrive from Orange County. And they assisted us with overhaul. And by that time, all the uh, aggressive fires had been mitigated. Uh, but we needed to go back and do overhaul because we were just darkening down and going to the next one. How big of a relief was that to finally see those Orange County trucks? Oh, it was huge. It was huge. Uh, um, you know, we're so blessed here in California of having probably the most robust and exercised mutual aid system in the nation. And so we're used to seeing large amounts of resources, you know, uh, uh, assisting each other. And uh, um, it, it's a good, good system to have. Um, but when you ask for it and you say, we'll get you resources as soon as we can, we don't know when that's gonna happen, that's not something that is, is, is usually the reply when, when you're requesting resources. And right. uh, uh, not knowing the infrastructure, you know, the, how many freeway bridges were down, uh, not knowing uh, that, it was no telling how long resources were gonna take to get there. So you knew that you had to basically handle things on your own until those reinforcements showed up. Absolutely. And so it sounded as though you had some immense challenges, one right after the other, in the initial phase. But then you got into your EOC. You were able to kind of start operating as normal right at that point. I mean, whatever normal is. So as the operations section chief, then what would you say would have been your biggest challenge, thinking back on it? I, you... uh, again, it, it comes down, my biggest challenge was getting a, a, a a common operational picture, okay. having the information available to make sure that my limited resources and the, not just mine, but the re limited resources within the city were being used appropriately. How long did it take you to get that? I, I would say it probably was right about six, seven hours okay, uh, so post event. 
So once you got into your EOC, then things started to kind of come together. Uh, we were able to display the information a little more organized. We were able to, to, to track uh, resources better. Um, and, you know, the, the more immediate um, emergencies uh, had been attended to. Uh, I mean, we had, you know, large gas lines that were ruptured, water lines, sewer lines, all kinds of, you know, we had over $250 million in damage in the city. Uh, but we didn't know that at the time. We know we needed to do a very uh, comprehensive, uh, continuous uh, sweep of the city to find out exact, exactly you know, what the damage was uh, and trying to put together a, a long-term mitigation plan so that you can uh, maintain a viable city. You had to make a lot of decisions. Uh, what were some of the more difficult decisions you had to make? Oh. Was there one particular? I, I, I would say the one that, that, that was the, one of the most challenging was on Wednesday. Uh, the earthquake happened on Monday morning. On Wednesday, uh, I got information uh, from one of my battalion chiefs who uh, had been trained in urban search and rescue and knew about structural evaluations and things like that. And he was at uh, St. John's Hospital. Uh, we knew that both of our hospitals uh, were still up and running. Uh, we had only investigated to the level of a windshield survey. Uh, didn't really see any significant damage other than, you know, some, some um, spalling of the walls and things like that, but, but the, the building itself looked intact. But mm -hmm. he was called because uh, they had uh, the potential of more severe damage inside. Uh, he went there with a building official, and uh, they determined that uh, several of the large 12-inch uh, by 12-inch columns that were in the neonatal facility uh, actually had uh, fractured in half, uh, some of them to the point where you could put your arm completely through them without any issue. Wow. Um, being that the case on what you could see and not knowing the damage in the, in the facility, what you couldn't see, um, I made the decision that we needed to evacuate St. John's Hospital. The entire hospital? The entire hospital on Wednesday. And so uh, we requested 35 ambulances uh, through the mutual aid system. Um, we uh, organized a, an organized, uh, um, uh, structured uh, evacuation of the building. And um, after a further evaluation, uh, it was the right decision. But uh, at the time, you weren't so sure? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I wasn't sure, but I had to um, make a decision based on worst case scenario, uh, potential aftershocks uh, of uh, additional uh, problems. Uh, if the hospital wasn't safe enough to occupy and we were going to be putting more people into that hospital based on the injuries and things like that that were occurring not only in Santa Monica but the region, which St. John's was a, a, a main hospital to receive patients, uh, we could have been adding to the potential injury victim and body count if we continued to use it and didn't take uh, drastic measures, but in hindsight, it was the right decision because they ended up rebuilding the hospital. Initially, did you have any opposition to that decision? Um, I had some concern raised by uh, some of my uh, city departments and city political um, uh, partners. Yeah. Um, but I think they had enough confidence in me that if I was making that decision that they were going to back me up and hope that I was right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did you have to really uh, try to convince them using empirical evidence or how did you convince no, them that it was the right no, decision? No, uh, it was early enough in the incident that okay. um, it was uh, a decision that was pretty much left up to, uh, to me mm -hmm. and uh, with the uh, 
representatives from St. John's Hospital there. Uh, they, they obviously weren't thrilled with the decision, but I think they understood and also not wanting to create a situation which potentially could have been more severe. Uh, 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 we're very supportive and, and, and we moved on it uh, uh, in a collaborative manner. Were you in the back of your mind telling yourself, I have to show good leadership here. I have to be confident in this decision and you know, display that confidence or else maybe they aren't going to trust you as much. Or was this training just, that just came through and uh, well, how were you able to convince them that you were confident in your decision? I, I think part of uh, the, the confidence if you will, uh, came from uh, having an opportunity through my career to, to work uh, with this, you know, California OES. Uh, we had just developed uh, the State Urban Search and Rescue Program. Uh, in fact, it had just gotten approved in December uh, so that the, uh, that became the new Urban Search and Rescue standard in the state. Um, because of that, I was also involved in the, uh, in the federal uh, Urban Search and Rescue uh, task force system uh, had had an opportunity to deploy to uh, by at that time a, a few federal disasters involving uh, hurricanes uh, earthquakes uh, we hadn't had the Oklahoma City bombing yet so that hadn't uh, happened but I had been able to see what citywide impact looked like uh, because of some of my previous deployments I'd come back and share that information with not only our political side but also with our other city departments uh, I, I would share with them the impacts and challenges that every community is going to be faced with. So I had a little bit of a um, credibility uh, in that environment. So when I'm talking about citywide disasters and impact, it's not, this is my first time seeing something like this. Obviously, this is something that our community had never seen of that magnitude, but at least it gave them some reassurance that I wasn't just making this up for the first time. Right. You had that expertise. You had that background. They, they knew to trust you. Um, tell me about leadership in a situation like this. There are going to be, you know, young up-and-coming emergency managers who maybe haven't, you know, faced that kind of an event. And uh, what's the key to showing leadership under that kind of stress and pressure? I, I would say that probably the most important thing to do is to have as much education, uh, training, and experience that you can acquire, whether your department pays for it or you pay for it, mm -hmm. so that you can do the best job possible. Uh, that in itself will give you a broader perspective of what's available out there as far as not only what you can do within your own department and your own expertise, but also makes you aware of other city agencies, what they can do, uh, how no community is ever going to resolve a large disaster with one single department. It's never going to be a fire department fix, a police department fix, a public works department fix. It's going to take every city department, it's going to take the community to really come together and um, be resilient enough to uh, fix all the multitude of challenges you're going to be faced with. The incident itself, that's a short-term situation. The recovery is years down the road. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but 
Uh, I was just contacted uh, last year by our emergency services coordinator uh, and he let us know that we had finally closed the books on the Northridge earthquake. 20 years later, we finally closed the books and all of our reimbursements had finally been resolved. Wow. And this was effective as of when? Last year. Just last year? Just last year. So it did. It took 20 years. 2014, we finally got the final reimbursement check uh, and uh, we closed the books on the Northridge earthquake. That's so that's the type of recovery. commitment. Yeah. Uh, but it's not just one department doing that. It's every city department doing it and the community. And if a city is not resilient enough to come together and resolve those issues quickly, people are going to leave. And that's a big concern, uh, which is something that if we have time, I'd like to share with you. One of the, the unique things we ended up doing uh, was we instituted uh, a property retrieval program uh, in the city of Santa Monica on, uh, on Friday. Um, now, were you the brainchild of this? Um, I. I don't know that I'd, I'd claim the brainchild of it, but uh, because of my, my previous experience, uh, seeing what other communities had done after a disaster or a hurricane or, or things of that nature, uh, I just felt there was a better way to resolve some of the um, human uh, needs of, of your community members uh, so that we just didn't demolish buildings in a rapid manner to try to bring the city back um, into a viable state, uh, there, there, there had to be a better way to go about um, um, bringing people together so that we can quickly bring maybe some items out of some damaged buildings um, that quality of life issues might be better attended to, such as you know, photographs, uh, computers, if a person works at home and their entire livelihood is based on one computer and we bulldoze that computer and say, okay, you can go get the pieces after the fact, we pretty much put that person out of business. They're no longer a viable community member. Uh, they find another community to live in. And, 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 and there's just got to be a better way to do that. So because this, the state had just finalized the Urban Search and Rescue Program, and I was a, a part of that committee that helped design that, I knew that those resources were available. Um, unfortunately, because it was so new, there were other, the, the, the way that you order mutual aid throughout the state of California is you go from area to region and region to state and everyone knows how to do that if you're at that level of the emergency management system. Um, I talked to Cal OES, Mark Gilarducci, who's currently the, the director. At that time, he was involved in fire. And I told him, I'd really like to put a property retrieval program together for our community. We had seven red tag buildings that we identified that we needed to demolish as quickly as possible because we had buildings that were completely viable to live in next to them, but they were so damaged next to the building that we had to take that building down in order to put people out of our shelters and put them back into viable buildings. And we wanted to do that in a timely manner. But we didn't want to just bulldoze the place and, and have the people out. So I talked to him about property retrieval because the public is going to go back into buildings whether they're red tagged or not. And the way I justified it was it's not maybe an immediate rescue, but it's a preventative rescue. Because if they're going in at midnight with candles trying to get their personal property out of there, because there's no way you're going to be able to have a police quadrant around large areas of your community to keep everyone out of every building that's red tagged. It's impossible. So anyway, we wanted to make sure that, that 
we were preventing people from going into those buildings and if we could give them a few personal items that they no longer had a desire to go back in there, uh, I saw that as preventative rescue. And that's the way I explained it to uh, Mark. Uh, he understood, he thought it was a viable program worth trying. Uh, we requested uh, eight urban search and rescue companies, uh, heavy status, uh, type to head heavy. I knew where they were in Southern California. Uh, I talked to the area coordinator, didn't know anything about the program. He said, no problem. If the state's bought off on it, we'll send you to region. Talk to LA County dispatcher. They didn't know what I was asking for, but they knew that if I went through the system, they could process the order. So I told them which departments to contact. Mm. On Friday evening, the eight departments all agreed to be a part of it. Uh, Saturday morning, uh, we all met up. We uh, went to those seven buildings Saturday and Sunday. We were completely done with doing that process by shoring up certain areas bringing out certain materials, and this isn't furniture, this isn't refrigerators and couches, this is you know, medication, photographs, uh, computer uh, information. Uh, one short story, uh, this one guy in a building that was literally ripped in half, he says, all I want out of my apartment, which he was in an apartment right over the bridge, and it was gonna take us probably four hours to shore it up just to get into the apartment, it was so badly damaged, is my grandpa's homemade guitar that I've had with me my whole life. And so instead of shoring up this area, one of the captains had this idea, why don't we take the area ladder, stick it through the window, we'll climb up there into the window and see if we can see it. They did with a 12-foot pike pole, was able to hook the guitar, bring it out the window. He was happy. He said, I don't need anything else in there. We didn't have to shore up that area. It was a quick fix and it was a quick way to resolve the issue. I don't think a lot of people realize that you guys would even uh, attempt something like that. Well, again, if you think about it as a training setting, we set up buildings that are partially collapsed and things like that anyway to train people. And if you do it in an organized, scheduled manner, it's really not much different than a training evolution, only you're having a direct positive impact for your community mm -hmm. using trained people with the proper equipment, they get skill sets reinforced. The community, we brought pets out of there that were trapped inside. They were happy. Um, it was a positive, positive. And they actually repeated this process in Fillmore um, a couple days later. They brought in the Urban Search and Rescue Task Force from San Diego because it was so popular in Santa Monica. They did the same thing in Fillmore. So overall then, what would the, the impact be of this new program the property retrieval program and uh, you know the example that you gave. Um, overall, how do you think that impacted these victims? Oh, it was um, with the tears that were shed by the community members that were getting things that they thought were completely gone. Um, um, it was it was positive. The, the our political side was ecstatic uh, in that the community was being attended to. It wasn't. Um, a callous, um, just knock down buildings and let the community deal with the, it was, it was a collaborative effort by everyone. And uh, the police department verified the right people were getting the right property. Uh, we set it up kind of like a hazardous material incident with a hot zone, a warm zone, and a cold zone. Uh, that's the old terminology, but yeah. that's how we set it up. It worked out really, really well. So for other departments maybe who hadn't considered something like this, or maybe they had, but they weren't able to sell it, uh, 
this is a good sales tool for them because it sounds to me like it was worth the effort. It was worth what little risk there was because overall the community says thank you. Oh, they were they were ecstatic. Um, it was uh, a great experience by all the crews that uh, because they got to apply the skills and training that they had been practicing for in a real world setting. Um, and again, I, I'll say it again, I think it was preventative rescue. If we didn't do that, the community is going to go back into those buildings and try to get their stuff. If you take that need away, then it's a safer environment for your firefighters who at three in the morning don't have to go in and find someone that got injured trying to get their property out. Right. Um, obviously, you've had a long and, and successful career. There are a lot of folks who are just now getting started. Would there be something that you would like to impart on them, uh, a, a bit of retired firefighter wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> um, is there something you'd like to share with them? Maybe that'll help them get them through their careers. Um, you have no limitations. Uh, the fire service uh, is a career in which if you have the desire, um, you can apply it to anything you're interested in. Uh, I would only advise you that if there's something that you are passionate about, to be the best you can and get as much information, training, experience, um, so that you can perform that at a professional level. Uh, when you do that, you, you, you have a successful career because you're providing a very high level of service. Uh, you keep yourself safe, which I know your family is gonna appreciate that you can retire and, uh, and enjoy uh, your retirement with your family. Um, but um, uh, sometimes you need to initiate those things and not wait for your department to come around and, and ask you or offer it to mm -hmm. you. If you have a desire, go after it and do whatever it takes to be as professional and uh, as experienced as possible. Um, there are no limitations. Do you have any uh, mentors or do you have any uh, resources that, that you like to go to, whether it's a person a place or a thing, something that, whether it's a, a website or an app, is there something that, you know, you'd say, oh, I discovered this, you need to know about this? You know, I don't think I have a, a single source. Um, again, if you do what I just talked about and, and expand your opportunities by educating yourself as much as possible, you're going to come across people who are in those fields, uh, instructors, uh, other students. Um, that is going to add more slides to your slide tray that you can always fall back on. So if you do have a particular issue, uh, you know someone else already had that experience or something like that. Um, and it might not be even in the fire service. You need to keep your horizons open that the fire service isn't the only service providing community services. Mm -hmm. There are, every city department has a value and you might be talking to someone from a different department who has an expertise that you didn't even think about just because they weren't part of the fire service. Don't be myopic. Think broadly because there are some smart people out there and if you're open to it, uh, they are more than willing to help and uh, that would be the only advice I could leave, uh, leave uh, anyone coming up in the fire service. Take advantage of every opportunity to uh, increase your knowledge and be open to information coming from a variety of sources. I think that's a great place to end it. Uh, retired fire chief from the Santa Monica Fire Department, also a, a big player 
in the Northridge earthquake, uh, recovery response, the whole deal. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, letting us uh, come out here and share your patio with us and, and uh, sharing your stories. I know a lot of folks are gonna get a lot out of that. So thanks a lot, I appreciate it. Sean, thank you very much. Preventative rescue, I love it. That was the concept behind the property retrieval program sales pitch, if you will. It took a lot to kind of get that thing through, but that made sense to people. You know, to keep those folks who are going after their computers, their photo albums, their medications, to keep those people out of those tagged buildings, those red tagged buildings. You don't want to go in there, and they didn't want them in there. A little too dangerous. They get hurt, then they've got to send people in after them to rescue them, putting their own people in harm's way. So that was a great idea. Great idea, and it's still in use today. The preventative rescue, and by the way, as he said, he worked on that alongside uh, our own director, Mark Gilarducci. He was uh, in the fire services back then, and uh, here he is with us today. Well, thanks for listening. We hope to have you with us next time. That's every other Tuesday. So be sure to join us. We'll have another guest and a lot more stories to tell. Thanks a lot. Take care and be safe. I'm Sean Boyd. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.